Well, good morning. It must be strange to see someone up with a laptop. When I grew up, I, people didn't preach with laptops. You know, they, they had the Bible, maybe some paper notes, maybe no notes. Now you've got these guys bringing laptops up here. Well, if it helps you, just think of it as paper. That's really all it is. And it saves paper. You don't have to print all of this off. Um, well, here's our topic for this morning and perhaps related this evening. Um, why the topic? The, um, I can speak real loud. <laughs> why, why the topic of dealing with personal sin? Um, I'll give you two reasons. One, I've tried to speak at the assemblies that I've been invited to speak at in Southern California on basically being healthy local churches. What does it mean to be a New Testament pattern church, but really focusing on being healthy local churches? And one of the things that you find in a healthy local church is that if I come here, will the, will the believers here, the leadership here, and the Christians here help me grow spiritually? Will they help me mature? Will they help me understand the Word of God? And part of that growth, part of that facet of a healthy local church, is that they, we get help dealing with sin because we're called, we're commanded to be holy, even as our Father in Heaven is holy. And so that goes along with some of the topics that I've been bringing up. The second, the second reason is, is that um, I'll be speaking on this at the, the, the National Workers' Conference. They asked, they're going to do a series on sin, and they said, can you do the first, first topic on personal sin? And so I'm, I'm using you all uh, as an opportunity to bring up the topic uh, and to share some thoughts. Um, and, and it's, but how more personal of a topic can we get? How more personal of a topic? Um, so my desire this morning is to, is to talk about that and try not to get confused up here. There we go. What I've got here is, uh, and, and I can, as always, I can give you a, we'll open in a word of prayer in a moment, but I can give you a copy of this. Uh, I can give you a copy of all the slides so you can just sort of watch. Uh, but this, this morning, what I'd like to do, just to make that very clear, is I'd like to go through a cycle that happens in people. It happens very quickly. And to show you what I think happens when we engage in sin or in choosing not to sin, and then look at the things we can do at each of these points to help stop sin, to push back against sin, to help one another deal with sin. I think at, almost at each one of these points, we can do things to respond and to push back and help prevent sin, okay? So we're going to look at what happens. We'll take David as an example, classic example of sin, but this really could be applied to all kinds of things. And uh, we'll go through it, and then we'll look at maybe responding to that. Let's just open in a word of prayer again. Father, we ask that you would, um, Lord, have your way, that your will would be done, as your son taught us to pray, Lord. Um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, Father, on earth as it is in heaven. And as we uh, open your word this morning and share some thoughts, Lord, I ask that you would uh, help me to speak clearly. Lord, prevent me from saying things that are inaccurate. Um, and that are not in line with your scripture, Lord. Uh, help us all to be open to correction, myself included, in growth as we study your word as a body, a family of believers, uh, and, and work together uh, towards righteousness and holiness. Um, 
as a group of believers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, here we go. And it went dark. I don't think I touched anything. He's pointing himself in the back. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans 3, 23. Do it? Okay. The Bible says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is a whole topic that you could get into, but in a very basic sense, sin is doing anything that the Lord does not want us to do. It's a departure from the character of God. We are created in the image of God. God's intention was that we would live like him to reflect him, to think like him. And when we sinned, we fell, we were corrupted. The image of God wasn't lost. That can be shown from Scripture, but it seems to have been marred in a sense. And so sin is almost anything that we do when we depart from the character, the righteousness, the holiness of God by committing certain things or overtly transgressing the law of God. You shouldn't do this. God doesn't want us to do that, and we do that. Or by not doing things the way that God would do them. And so our lives are an expression of sin. Our sins are an expression of sin and brokenness in our lives. And that has to be dealt with because God is a righteous God, and God can't tolerate sin. Otherwise, he's not righteous. But God's also merciful. He's gracious. And so he's made a way to be both just, right, in punishing sin, and the justifier of those that believe in Jesus Christ. And how does he do that? By sending his son to be a substitute for sinners, he goes to the cross. Our sin is laid on him, 2 Corinthians 5. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He's punished for our sins, and then God justly and righteously turns to us and says, you can be forgiven. He doesn't just sweep it under the rug. God's holy and merciful 100% at the same time. And so... What happens when we sin? This is a, this, I, I don't know if this is a, a helpful picture. You can't just find pictures sometimes of what's in your head. So you have to work and put things together. This is a picture of some of the major biblical themes of the person. What is the person like according to scripture? And some of you would make this differently. I'm open to suggestions. I find this very interesting. The Bible uses terms like the soul and the spirit and the mind and the heart. Well, what are we according to scripture? Well, a couple things that you see here include um, the body or the flesh. The Old Testament talks about the flesh. All flesh is as grass before the Lord. Um, the New Testament talks about the flesh in a sense that's more than just the body. Uh, there's a corrupted, fallen sense uh, to the person. There's obviously the brain. There's the physical material. You see the word material here. There's the physical person. But there's also a spiritual or immaterial person. And so we have not only the brain, but we have our minds, the mind, which is not reducible to the brain. If, you're, if you talk with a scientist today, they don't, they don't want anything that's non-material, so they'll try to reduce the mind uh, to the, the brain. You don't actually have an immaterial mind. You're just physical electrons and, and, and atoms and things like that and cells. Uh, but I believe there's an immaterial part of the person, so we have the mind, and the Bible talks about the heart, and this picture is a little bit misleading, and I tried to fix it with the little chains. The, the heart isn't a separate thing from the mind necessarily in the, in the scripture, it's really the whole, the whole decision center of the person, 
It's where we decide. It's where we think. It's where we choose. It's where we um, conceive. Uh, the, the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, that's the immaterial part of the person, the mouth speaks. The physical person reflects by actions and words what's going on in the mind and the heart. We can sin externally. We can do things externally, but they're often reflecting what's going on internally. We can have sin and things inside ourselves that we don't, we try to keep in. And, and sort of there's, we talk about, we talk about two, you know, two people, right? We talk about put, putting on facades and masks and the external person is nice and shaking hands. And, and inside, the Bible uh, talks about sin on the inside. Oh, dead men's bones, the Lord said to the Pharisees, like whitewashed graves. And so we will talk about these different parts um, of the person as we talk about sin. And I hope this is more helpful. So before salvation and before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit did not dwell within people. We read that the Spirit came upon the prophets and came upon people to enable them to do the works and the acts of God, but he didn't indwell the person. And so when you look at individuals in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures trying to follow the Word of God, they're the laws external to them. It hasn't been written on their hearts like the New Covenant, Jeremiah 31 said. And the Holy Spirit doesn't indwell them. And so when you study people in the Old Testament, remember, they're in a different situation than the New Testament believer. They're believers, they're saved by faith, but they're in a different situation. And so you sort of have a picture like this. There's, uh, there's the, the body and the spirit or soul, and I'm not going to get into spirit and soul, or just you kind of got dipartite, tripartite views. Are we spirit, soul, and, and, and body? Are we just uh, body and spirit? But um, in the New Testament, after salvation, what you have, there's another slide here, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell a person, and the Bible says that God writes his law on our heart. He, he puts it inside the inner person. He regenerates the inner person. Uh, look at Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Romans 8, 16. What am I doing right now? Before we jump into our topic, I'm just giving some pictures and terms and words that sort of paint a picture of what's going on, what's involved in the person when we talk about things like sin. We talk about things like temptation. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Why am I looking up here? I've got it in front of me. Romans 8, verse 16. It's a good thing they're not videotaping these. I'll be going like this the whole time. Romans chapter 8, verse number 16. Reading from the New King James English translation this morning. And just a simple verse. I'll read from 15 for, for context. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself, it's probably capitalized in your Bibles, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so you see, you see, there's the Holy Spirit that indwells us in John 14, 6. He's described as the paraclete, the helper, the one that comes alongside. And then there's our spirit. So there's the immaterial part of the person. And the Holy Spirit is an additional uh, uh, person that comes into the picture. Um, that might seem very simple and old news to some of you, but sometimes you just go years, you don't think about the difference between the, the Holy Spirit and your own immaterial spirit or soul. And, and there's, they're, they're two different things. And this verse brings them out. That's why I read that verse. Uh, so let's go to the next slide. So here's our, here's our cycle. And what I'm going to suggest is this is what happens when we sin. And we'll go through an example, look at some scriptures. Uh, we are 
constantly bombarded by sounds and sights and smells, tastes, feel things, all of our five senses. Uh, we're also prompted by our own memories. And they, they come to our bodies and our bodies respond. All right? The physical person is, is a real part of the world. And so we talk about the Bible, we can't just ignore the physical person and all the chemistry and hormones and things that go on. It's part of the real world. And so our, our mind then sort of responds to something. Maybe we see something. We're going to look at David, 2 Samuel 11. And our mind acknowledges that. And then our, our, our heart and our mind, the immaterial part of us, responds to that in a certain way. And then the, the body gives expression to that. And the sin occurs somewhere in here where we make a decision to do things in a way that God wouldn't want us to do. Let's look at an example. Um, let's, let's look at each step, okay? So here's step number one. And we're talking about dealing with personal sins. Um, the Lord deals with sin in the person at the cross, but these are personal uh, sins. And it could, you could really put anything over here. Almost anything. We're just bombarded by things all day long. Sin often begins by our response to external prompts, words, sights. And just stop and think. You're working at the office. Somebody comes up to you and says, we need to hurry up. Like that. What's happened? Well, you had, you've had a prompt from the outside world. It's not sin yet. It's not anything. You just had a prompt. Now, your, your inner person is going to respond to that. You've heard it. It's gone through your ears. It could be something you see. Um, seeing a, a piece of cake on the table is, you know, you show some of our kids, and they're like, I don't want that. We were talking in the car how our kids don't want cake. We're marveling over this, you know, thinking about, what is this? The world is changing. And... Um, it could be anything. And, and the Bible talks about that it's not what comes into a man or woman that defiles a man, but what? It's what comes out of them. So this is an important thing to keep in mind. Let's go to the next stage or the next step. Here's a biblical example. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. You all know the story of David. Maybe it's, maybe it's too classic and we should maybe pick a different story, but you could, you could use this for almost anything. 2 Samuel chapter 11. It's a very interesting and helpful passage to look through, and it happened in the spring of the year, verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle, and this king should have gone out to battle too. But he didn't. And that's a great question. Why didn't he go out to battle? If that's when kings went out to battle and he was a king, he stayed home. That David sent Joab his servant. Uh, that he sent Joab and his servant with him and all Israel, just not him, and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Interesting words. Have you ever found yourself in a situation like that? You remain somewhere that could put you in a situation that you shouldn't have been in. Now, I'm obviously reading into the passage, okay? We're on the threshold of Asa Jesus here, reading into the scriptures. I mean, he could have stayed home for any number of reasons, okay? So we need to be fair with the word of God. Uh, but I'm just taking a little bit of liberty. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we stay instead of doing something else because who knows what awaits us, um, and so David stays in Jerusalem. Verse 2, And then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house, 
And from the roof saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. I wonder if that had happened before. I think it probably did. Um, I don't think it was the first time in one's whole life that this happened. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, he sent messengers to her. Someone says, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I'm with child. So in this story, the cycles happened probably two or three times already. And we'll look at how. But here's our first step. There is an external stimulus, David, uh, external prompt. David is walking and he sees something. And that's it's just what it is. If one of his uh, you know, handmaidens or women that were servants had walked and seen this same thing, it might have been a completely different story. But he sees it, and so there he's prompted by uh, something he's, he, he sees. Um, next slide there. Um, he saw a woman, okay? And so I'm just putting the emphasis on the external prompt. Let's go to the next slide. Um, obviously, whatever we see has to come through our, our eyes and our minds and our ears, and I'll talk about that a little bit more, but that's, that's the next thing. And then we go to, I'm just going through the slides here. He says that the woman was very beautiful. And so this sort of brings the picture into his mind, right? So now the scene has gone through his eyes and into his mind, and we're almost actually on to the next step. Let's go to the next step. The mind or the heart reflects on what's gone in. And forgive all of this wording. This is like PowerPoint crime um, to do this. But just some things that I've got up here. Uh, the inner person immediately reacts to what's going on. And so here David is thinking about this woman. Uh, he's, the mind reflects on what to do. Maybe recalls consequences. Maybe remembers old sins. This all happens split second. Reviews options. Thinks about the right thing to do. Maybe recalls the scriptures, if the scriptures are in the mind and the heart. Reflects on who the self is, who this person is, and things that they've done in the past. And at this point, also, the conscience is engaged and maybe bypassed. And so I've circled sort of the immaterial part. Now the thoughts have gone into the mind. It's come through the body, and now we're thinking in the mind about this. So let's look at the next slide here. We'll apply it to David. I've just made up some thoughts for David. He sees that she's beautiful. This is obviously occurring in the mind. Um, it's not a thought that maybe one of the handmaidens would have had. Maybe they wouldn't have even thought about it. But, you know, David could have thought, should I be looking? Maybe he, he thought that. Maybe he didn't. Uh, I already have a wife. He certainly would have thought that. Um, that's an understatement. Um, I'm a king. I, I could have her if I wanted. All these thoughts go through the mind. And the Bible talks about temptation, and this is sort of where it occurs. But temptation is not a sin. Temptation is when things approach us, or our, they come to our bodies, or our minds, or people suggest things to us, that if they were to be acted on would be sin. And the sin is in the, the response to that not in the being uh, tempted or tested. Our Lord was tested, right? The devil came to him and, and tried to tempt him to sin. So we go to our next slide. So now we move from the reflection of the heart and mind. Somewhere in here, the heart, the mind respond 
to the situation. Um, let's just look at the next slide. So the mind or the heart responds. How, how could it respond? And you could think outside of the story with David. You could think about a man who's at work and he sees um, you know, something that he could do business-wise and get away with it. Right? So now the heart's either going to respond with um, a righteous response. That's wrong. I'm not going to do that. Lord, help me. Send up a prayer to the Lord. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm married. Lord, I, I'd, I'd lose my job if I did this. Or the heart can respond with anything. I, I give the example of someone at work. We need to hurry up. Okay, so it's come in, the mind's reflected, and all these thoughts go through this. I'm so-and-so. Who's this person? What do they think? And then the heart responds. Hatred, anger. And this is where, this is where sin is, is, is born. This is the response of the heart. Because now the person begins to act unlike the Lord or like the Lord. And um, David, you know, maybe we have lust up here. And so the Bible says if a man looks on a woman, we'll apply David's case to lust after her, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he's, he's already acted, in a sense. The sin has been committed. If you hate your brother, the Lord Jesus Christ says, it's like murder. So there you, you've got, in Matthew chapter 5, you, you've got the reality of sin going on in the heart, even though it hasn't been acted on yet. And I think that's an important thing to, to point out, because oftentimes as believers, our focus is on the external person. I come, I've got my jacket on, my hair's cut, I've got my tie on. I sure know how to shake your hand and smile and be polite. But you have no idea what's going on in my heart and mind, do you? You don't know. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, let's go there quickly, that we have to be cognizant of this, this reality when we think about how we're, we're, we're tempted, and I don't mean that in the, the negative way, just a general way to sort of judge or esteem one another's ministries and our, one another's works. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. I'm just making an application to this, this point. You know, in 1 Corinthians, they were really sort of enacting a, a secular way of thinking and the people in this little assembly were lining up behind certain teachers that they liked. Oh, oh, we're of Paul. We really like his style. He's No, we're of Apollos. Cephas, Peter, he knows where it's at. We're of Christ. And Paul, and, and Paul responds to them and says, this is the way the world thinks. Do you want to know how you're supposed to think about us? First one of chapter 4. You all think about us like stewards. You know, you can go hire a steward in that world. We want you to feed all the children by noon. Make sure all the pens of the animals are clean. A steward. A steward is simply a person that was hired or even a slave that had responsibilities. And the main issue with the steward is that they be found faithful. And so he says, we want you to think of us as servants, as stewards, not as the mighty Paul, the mighty Peter. And so he says here in verse 1, let a man so consider us or think about us as servants of Christ. And stewards of the mysteries of God, we've been given these mysteries, these truths, these New Testament truths, and we are responsible to deal with them and preach them in the way that God wants. And we're really just servants. Moreover, on top of this fact, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. That's really when you hire an employee, you have a steward, that's, what you, that's, that's really what you're concerned about. Do they do their job? It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. The master wants to know if they do their job. 
That's the only question. And so he says this, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I don't look at myself and say, well, Paul, you've done a pretty good job as an apostle. You keep it up, buddy. Um, notice what he says next. He says, a very enlightening verse here, for I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. He who judges me is the Lord. If I understand Paul rightly, he was saying, when I look at my own life, I don't see any grave errors. I didn't really drop the ball over there in Ephesus, just make a mess of things. When I went through Antioch, I didn't, offend, I didn't, I didn't shirk from persecution. I look at my life, I don't really see any you know, major issues. But that doesn't mean I, I get a gold star. Because the one who judges is not the Apostle Paul. I'm not going to sit on the beam. I'm not going to sit on the judgment seat and judge myself. I'm not going to call Paul, step before Paul, and I'm going to give an, an, give, an, give an account of your life to me. Jesus Christ is the one who judges. What's the point? Well, look down at the verse here. Verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time, the time of judgment, when Christ judges the church, the judgment seat of Christ, until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and here we go, the inner person, the unseen person, and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will be, or presumably will not be, from God. Or God's praise will properly spell out the work of, for what it was. In other words, we really don't have a proper view and understanding of the human person and their actions and their ministry, because we can't see this. We can't see this. So when we talk about healthy local churches, we need to talk about dealing with the heart and the inner person, not just the outer person. You can have folks all dressed up, looking nice and smiling all day long, saying amen and good to see you. They could be as dark on the inside as all, you know, as, as anything else. Um, the Lord desires righteousness on the inner person. And that's just a little application of that. So back, back to our point. There's a prompt from outside it comes through our senses, it goes through our minds, and we respond with the heart in one way or another. Let's just go on. Let's look at David, our example. So I assume David engaged in some of these inner heart thoughts. Um, let's look at a few verses that talk about the heart and some of these inner heart responses. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. Our response to our, to, to our prompts from now could stop here. We could sort of keep things bottled up and just respond internally with pride or with anger or with lust, um, with guilt or who knows what. But we'll talk about the external response. But look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 16 here. Look what it says. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. Well, that's external. That's the next step, right? But that's really an expression of a proud heart. A lying tongue. Well, the tongue doesn't lie and decide to lie until the mind has thought through this, 
The mind has decided, if I tell the truth, I'm going to lose my job. I don't want to lose my job. Therefore, this is more important than righteousness to me. And, the, you know, and it goes all the way through, and then we, we express a lie. Hands that shed innocent blood. Well, behind shedding innocent blood is a heart that hates. A mind that's decided that it was okay to take this step. Verse 18, a heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift to run, in running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren. The point is, is that there is a whole internal thing going on, for lack of a better pronoun. And the heart, a heart that devises wickedness. Um, Romans chapter 1, 21. We're just reading verses that sort of point out the inner person and some of the darkness that goes on inside the inner person. Do you see how different of a worldview this is from naturalism, where all that exists is the physical, what some might call physicalism, that's all that there is? It just totally eliminates and reduces all of this to just hormones, to, to something completely amoral. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Because God has revealed himself to, to them, to the world, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. So think about the immaterial part of the person, the thoughts are futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. So the Bible describes a state of the inner person as potentially being dark. Dark with corrupt thoughts, dark with corrupt intentions, dark with lies. Know the truth. The truth is what sets men free. There's a whole reality to this story here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Just reading verses about the darkness that can be described as being inside the immaterial part of a person. Ephesians 4, I'm going to hurry up here. Um, we'll just stop with this one. Ephesians 4, 17. I say this, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, and the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened. They don't have the light of God's word. They don't have the truth there. Being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. What an expression. What an artistic and, and communicating expression. The blindness of the heart. The Bible describes the heart as doing so many things. And here one of them is seeing and the heart is blind. The heart is dark. The mind is dark. Well, we could go on, and you could, you could take these and fill in all kinds of different verses and scriptures. Let's go to the next slide. Um, ultimately, ultimately, the sin is committed in the heart and in the mind. And then the body goes further, and, and you could, we could talk about whether this is a greater sin, and actually acts it out. I think there is a difference between 
thinking and sinning in the mind and then actually acting on that sin. It's a greater thing to do. Um, but they're both sin. That's the important thing to realize. It starts in the heart. And the response to um, our, our, our heart, the external expression of it, could be anything from speaking. We could speak back to, let's just take our example of the person in the office. We need to hurry up, right? There's that, oh, you know, there's that, that response. That could go through the person, thoughts of anger, and whatever. we could respond back to that. No, we don't need to hurry up. We don't need to, you know, we, we, can, we can do that. Maybe we feel guilty like a failure. We feel bad. We want to feel good. What makes us feel good? Food makes us feel good. I go home and I eat. I go eat. And there's, this, there's a whole cycle that's gone through. We, we see our feelings of guilt. They go unto us. And um, obviously with David, gazing, and he actually does more than just look at the woman, Bathsheba, on the roof. Stealing, theft. I don't know why I've got take against you in there. Uh, touching. Uh, then there could be more positive responses that, and I'm sort of jumping ahead of myself, but there could be confession of sin. Or, or one could go out and do something a little bit more, more intelligent and go out and exercise. Knowing you've committed a sin in your heart, uh, you could see people trying to sort of deal with the inner person and go out and do something else. Uh, getting out of the room. Joseph and David were both in sort of similar situations, tempted. And Joseph's response is so much different than David's response, wasn't it? Potiphar's wife propositions Joseph, and he literally winds up running. Um, silence. People could do all kinds of things. The Bible says in Luke, this is an essential verse, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. I believe it's around verse 43. If you like to do topical studies, devotions, do one on the heart. The Bible's full of verses about the heart. Guard your heart, Proverbs 4.23, right? Guard your heart. Watch it vigilantly, for out of it are the springs or the issues of life. This is where it all happens at the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful. It's wicked above all things. Who can know it? You don't even know what's in your heart. Paul says, I don't even know myself. God's got to come look at my heart. The psalmist says, Lord, look at my heart. Test my heart. Show me what's in it. And one of the things that I've experienced meeting with some believers at school is to watch believers get together. And this is where we need the body. In many ways, we need the body is to get together and to have a brother or sister who you trust and who you who know loves you and to have them wrestle with you to get down into your heart. There is a deep, deep need for relationships that express John 13, foot washing, because that's more than just physical foot washing, that passage, where we know that we are loved by another like Christ loves us, and we feel free to be vulnerable. Vulnerability is the key to relational intimacy. A lot of us know how to be polite. We know how to be nice. There's a difference between being nice and polite and being loving. A lot of churches are filled with nice people who aren't expressing Christ-like love. But to know a person loves us, we can trust them, they want our good and our, our, our growth and maturity, and they'll sit with us and they will probe and push deep and say, I think there's something down in your heart, brother. And last week at Grace, we spoke on idols of the heart. Oftentimes there's something deep in the heart 
that's deep. And we, we may have forgotten it. It's a scar. It's something that happened when we were a child, something we did and have forgotten about. And it's producing certain types of behavior. Well, here's another verse in the heart, Luke chapter 6, verse 43 says, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. How do you know what kind of tree it is? Verse 44, for every tree is known by its own fruit. Men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man, here's the application to the human person, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. Here's the, 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 the kernel here at the center of all this. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. This is point four. The body, that's why I put expression. The body is an expression of what's going on in the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you're an angry person and there's anger coming out, you can't just say, well, I'm just, that's just the way I am. No, it's what's in your heart. And there's, there's a reason, there's a story behind that. It probably goes back to your relationship with your father. And his relationship with his father. You want to know about men? Ask about their fathers. Seriously, tell me about your father. I want to know about your father. You're angry? Tell me about your dad. You're engaged in certain types of sin? Tell me about your dad. Out of the abundance of the heart. So, so the, the mouth is giving, it's what's in there. If it's coming out of you in some way, it's, it's in here. And we need believers to come help us dig down into the heart and to see what's there. And then apply the truth of God's word. Healing, forgiveness, love. I've seen men in Bible readings. We were doing one on the upper room ministry of the Lord, John 13 to 17. and saw a man crying when he read that the Father himself loves you. Because the Father had never loved him. The truth of God's word was, was going deep, deep down to where the pain was. The deep heart that we don't know. The Holy Spirit gets down into the heart and moves and works and arranges our circumstances Sometimes painfully so, so that God can deal with what's in there. You, you see, and I'm, I'm jumping way ahead here, and I, I should just go forward, but th this is why there's a need to, to have relationships that are beyond just, good morning, how are you, good to see you, goodbye. Sunday morning only relationships. We need the body of Christ, the application, the water of the word to our heart. And it's scary. It's scary to think if I sit down with that person and tell them the ugliness that's inside me, I have no clue what they'll do with it. And what we're saying is we just don't trust each other. And then we'll get up and we'll speak about loving one another. And isn't this beautiful? But if we can't sit down one-on-one -on -one and open up and do what James says, confess our faults one to another, expose the sin that's in our hearts to one another, and bear one another's burdens... We are not there yet. And it's such a liberating thing. So, so next week at the workers' conference, we talk about dealing with sin. They've actually asked me to talk about pornography. It is totally devastating the church, all corners of the church. I guarantee there are people here struggling with it. The, 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 the statistics are horrifying. And one of the things to deal, one of the, the big needs of dealing with that is to have good relationships where men can sit down and know they're loved by men and know that somebody loves someone and say, look, come talk to me. You struggling with it? Call me on the phone. I want to talk to you. Let's, let's, let's fight this together. Let's fight for righteousness. You see that? That's, that's, a, that's a whole different level. Um, so let me jump forward here. Let's, go, let's just go all the way forward to... Um, go back one slide. 
By the way, um, yeah, that just shows that sometimes we cannot do anything on the outside, and we just sin in our hearts. By the way, a habit, a habit shortcuts this cycle. When we, when we develop a habit, what happens is we're shortcutting from an external prompt or from down here, our body is stimulated by something, and we go, boom, right to outward expression. That's what happens when you exercise, an athlete. When an athlete plays sports, they don't stop and think, okay, here comes the ball, I need to dive, I was told to stretch right, keep my arm in, tuck your head. They don't think, they just go. The, we talk about muscle memory. We've, we've done something so many times that we just go right to physical expression. That's why some people are like, I can't control myself. It's because they've done it so many times, they just go right to physical expression of sin. And that has to be undone. It has to be dehabituated. This is why we need help so people can help us to begin to develop new habits. But just going down to some of the other slides here, maybe what we should do is, I'll just introduce this, and tonight we'll talk about it more. Let me just run through this and we'll go through it slower tonight. Um, go all the way down, keep going. Yep, there we go. So, keep going. Uh, what I'll talk about tonight, because we're at the, the, the top of the hour here, is that we want to break into this cycle with righteousness, okay? So, tonight what we'll talk about is how at each of these points, we can engage the person with righteousness and truth and look at this, what the scripture says about cutting off external prompts, having truth in the heart and the mind, doing these things all along the way to begin to deal with personal sin. The point is, is that when we deal with personal sin, we're, I'm not talking about personal sin, I'm talking about those, these private sins that we, that we struggle with, oftentimes we have to kind of understand what's really going on so we can deal with not just some surface behavior, the deep heart, external prompts, and other different issues. So I hope this is helpful. We'll go ahead and stop and um, we'll pick up tonight. Let's pray. Father, as we look at the human person uh, with the scriptures, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be filled with the knowledge of your will, Lord, and to take seriously all of the scriptural imperatives to be holy, to bear the image of God like you are holy. Lord, we thank you that Christ died on the cross to take the punishment, the penalty for sin. Lord, that above all of this, before we even get to changing the person and growing and maturing, we know that the penalty for sin was dealt with at the cross. Lord, thank you that you haven't left us to try to fix ourselves and earn righteousness by our behaviors because they're polluted by sin, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you that we can have peace with God, not through ourselves, but through the Lord Jesus Christ because of your good pleasure and acceptance of his work on the cross. And Lord, that after our salvation, we begin to work and grow through these things. Lord, just ask that you'd help us to, uh, to be helped by this today and that as we go into it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.